Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Well, we're going to talk about hope. When we're out uh, serving in the harvest field and we're serving and loving, people say, why do you do this? And so the answer we like to give is that we're passing on the hope of Christ to our community. But we want to pass on the hope of Christ this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Romans, talking about sources of hope. So let's pray. Father, you're an awesome and loving God, and we thank you for the hope that the gospel gives to us. And so we pass that on to others. But we as your followers, we as your children, need to continually receive hope through the challenges, through the trials, through the hardships of life. And so we pray that as we go into your word, you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start off by asking a a dumb question. Can I do that? How many of you enjoy waiting? Does anybody like that? If you like to wait, then there's probably other issues we need to work on with you this morning. You know, you're at the post office and you got 10 people in front of you. You like that? A long wait. You're there at the light and it's red, it turns green, and the person in front of you is distracted looking at their cell phone or whatever. You know, you're like, oh, this is just a great opportunity to wait. No, if you're like me, you slam on the horn. In fact, I know my wife has been tempted several times to, to disengage the horn of my car because of my reactions. You're at the doctor's office and you're waiting longer than you anticipated. In fact, it's a, it's a whole hour of waiting for the doctor to call you in. What's your attitude during that time? Oh, I just love to wait. This is a great opportunity to get caught up on that 2007 edition of Reader's Digest. Probably not. But we're used to waiting because everything doesn't happen according to plan and it's kind of customary and we kind of roll with it. But there's other forms of waiting that are more serious, aren't they? Other ways that we wait and it wears down on our soul. I'm talking about when we're waiting in the lobby as our loved one is facing a serious operation. We're wondering, how's it going? What will be the outcome? We're waiting. We're single and we're waiting. Who is that person that God has for me in, in marriage? And I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life. And, and so, Lord, I'm waiting for that right person. You need employment. You need income. And you've had that job interview. And you're waiting for the phone to ring and for you to find out an answer whether you have the job. You've come out of a surgery, you've come out of some illness, and there's a waiting as you're in this prolonged period of recovery. Well, I want to talk about resources today that the gospel gives us. We're in that waiting process. And as we look in Romans today, the basic message is this, that while we are waiting, God is working. That while we are waiting, that there can be a sense of hope, in expectation 
and even preparation. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be hanging out in verses 18 to 29. If you're using your Bible app, version or Bible Gateway, turn there. And as usual, we're going to have the scriptures by way of the screen as we talk about sources of hope that God gives to us. Now, I know for a fact, having been in ministry for several years, that probably the biggest thing that drowns out people's faith or at least suffocates it or diminishes it to a significant extent is when they face suffering or they see suffering in others that they love and and they can't find answers. And they try to reconcile with their minds if there is a loving and there is an all-powerful God Why does he allow this to happen? Why did I go through this? Or why are others going through this? And maybe if they don't totally ditch their faith, their faith is shaken and it's really weakened in the process. And Paul takes on that very issue in the passage we're going to look at is that where is God in our suffering and where are the sources of hope? And we've said that as we've been going through Romans week after week that the, the key theme verses, is verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed that is from faith and to faith, as the scripture shares, and he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And we said that we don't start with the gospel and then move on to something deeper, but rather we start with the gospel and we go deeper into the gospel. And we've said that the gospel relates to every area of our life. And so Paul is now talking about the gospel in relation to our suffering. And the message is this, it is as we wait, God works. And there are three words in this passage I want us to lock into as we try to harness hope in the midst of challenging times. And one word is the word hope, it's used six times. One word is the word wait, it's used three times. And the other word is groan, used another three times. So let's look first of all at the word groan. So I want us, as I'm going to read verses 18 through 26, take special note of verses 22 in 23 and 26, where three times we see the word groan is used. And notice who it is or what it is that is groaning in these passages. In verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And there is Paul is talking about the fall of the world into sin. And when it fell into sin in chapter 3 of Genesis, God pronounced the curse. So even in the fall, he is still sovereign. But he did so in hope. And that is the hope of the gospel. After the fall, God pronounced that the seed of the woman, which would be eventually Jesus, would overcome the serpent and his evil. Verse 21. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been, number one, groaning. Verse 23. 
Creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but number two, we ourselves who are the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they do not already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait patiently. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our own weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Three groanings. The creation, us, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this groaning? Paul says in verse 22, that creation groans as in the pains of of childbirth. There's a groaning that takes place. I I learned about that a long time ago. When my wife became pregnant with our first child, Andrew, I went to Lama's class. And there I learned the proper way to groan, at least how to help my wife do that, Okay. And then I was there for the birth of all three of my children, and I saw some world-class groaning going on there. And one thing I have learned is, a, well, can we give you a little advice, ladies? If you always want to win an argument with your husband, be pregnant. Because you don't want to have an argument with a pregnant woman, okay? So I just want to say that. But this is the groaning Paul talks about. He gives the example. And let me give you a definition of groaning by way of the screen. Groaning is the process of enduring suffering while we wait for something better. Groaning is the intentional process where we willingly endure suffering while something better is on the horizon. Now, let me travel down kind of a a side road if I can, and address a topic that is extremely important. I think that oftentimes within Christians and even in our larger culture, there is some wrongheaded thinking about the source of our groaning because when people are in that process of suffering, waiting for something better, they often attribute, and wrongly so, the source of their groaning and their pain and their suffering all to God. In this passage tells us, especially in verse 26, is that in the majority of times, God is not in that which is is hurting us. He's in us, the one that is hurting. And folks, that makes a big difference when you're going through suffering is to distinguish that God is in you, the one that is hurting, not in it, the thing that hurts. Some of us have this view that God is in the cosmic control center of the universe, pressing every single button of every single thing that happens. And then whenever suffering or hardship or difficulty strikes our lives, that God has pushed the button to cause or to make that to happen. And so because of that, I've heard people say, in losing a little child, somebody will come along and comfort them and say, well, God just needed another flower for his garden in, in heaven. The implication is, is that God caused the loss of your child. You get sick or you get ill and you think, oh, God is, is 
punish me. God is paying me back for something wrong that I did. We often hear people say this, God will not give me more than I can handle. And some of us are like, I just wish he wouldn't have so much confidence in me. I think he's trusting me too much. And the idea is when we're going through suffering, it's God that is causing it. But the Bible gives us a more nuanced and a more varied picture than that. So let me talk about four sources of suffering from a biblical point of view, because you need to understand this, that when you're in that process of waiting through suffering, when you're in that groaning. So number one is this, by way of your notes, God causes some suffering. God does cause some suffering. The Bible is clear on that. You look at the plagues of Egypt that struck Pharaoh and his population. But when God causes suffering, he does so so that we'll repent. When God causes suffering, he does so temporarily so that we will change. God may hurt us, but he will never harm us. Just like when you're sick or there's something wrong with your body and the surgeon will skillfully take the scalpel and will carefully cut into your body, he is hurting you, but he is doing so in order to heal you. He is hurting you, but not to harm you. And when God causes suffering in our lives, he does so to bring a change, to bring a reflection, to bring about repentance that we need. Someone has said that our eyes never see so clearly as when they've been washed by tears. And listen, when God causes suffering, when he disciplines us, he makes it known very quickly that it is him and why he has done it. Parents, when you discipline your child, you do whatever, whatever consequence. You don't just discipline them and say, kid, you need to figure out why I did that. That would be pretty cruel, wouldn't it? And folks, when God disciplines us, he lets us know it's him and he lets us know why it is happening. And that's why the psalmist would write in Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray but now I obey your word. So God does cause some suffering. Number two, disobedience is the cause of much suffering. Disobedience is the cause of much suffering. A lot of the suffering that we face, folks, is not caused by God, it's caused by us. It's what we do to ourselves and it's what we do to others and others do to us. It's called sin and sin is against the will of God. God has declared, I hate iniquity. And he's not the cause. Rather, he is the redeemer of the cause. And so much of what we face is because of our own rebellion against God and not God himself. Number three, Satan causes some suffering. Remember Jesus, John chapter 10? And he said, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and to have it more abundantly. And folks, when you see these onslaughts of spiritual warfare that occur in people's lives, it is Satan that's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible says, rather than saying, okay, this is what God has given me to handle. Rather, it says in spiritual warfare that we are to resist Satan standing strong in the faith. 
And so that's not God, that's rather the enemy, and we're to fight against him. But then there's a fourth cause of suffering. A fallen world that we live in brings suffering. As Paul has said, all creation is in groaning. It's struggling. And this is big because God created the world good. He looked at it all and said it was good. He created Adam and Eve and said it's very good. But then sin entered the world and there was the fall. And at that fall became the intrusion of evil that has rocked the world. And when something falls, it breaks and the world has become very broken due to the entrance of sin. And so because of that, we have plate tectonics that shift and there are earthquakes. We have hurricanes that rock coastal lines and destroy cities. We have tornadoes that go through towns. We have forest fires that ravage and scorch acres and acres and acres of forest. And the reason is, is because creation is in groaning. Jesus says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And God has created laws upon which the world operates. And he doesn't always intervene. And when he does, it's a miracle. And because God doesn't always step in, the fire that kills the adult kills the child. The tornado that strikes the night place hits the church. The sickness that strikes the pagan can hit the Christian. The knife that cuts the vegetable can slice your hand. The gravity that keeps you planted to the ground also causes you to fall to the ground when you fall off of a tree or off of a ladder. And folks were affected by these laws, and God does not always step in. And what Romans 8 tells us is that this earth is subject to the bondage of decay. Rather than evolving and getting better, it is devolving. And the world itself would have collapsed on itself, would have blown itself apart several times over by now, except for the miraculous intervention of God. Some of us, we've got this attitude It's kind of the orphan Annie attitude that says the sun will always come out tomorrow. The life is always naturally going to get better. And Romans 8 says that apart from the grace and the intervention of God, it doesn't. Back in the 1980s, you remember the song, Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Is there a real basis to do that? The Lion King, Akuna Matata, Don't worry, just let it go. And Paul would say, and experience would say, apart from the grace of God, we don't have a lot of hope. But because Jesus came, he went to the cross, he overcame sin, we do have hope. And so the second word I want us to look at is verse 24, the word hope. It says this, for in this hope we are saved. Now what is hope? Well, let me give you the definition by way of the screen. Hope is the certainty that God will bring a good outcome through bad circumstances. Hope is the certainty that God will bring a good outcome through bad circumstances. Hope is faith in the future tense. And because Jesus went to the cross and he overcame every evil, all of our sin, we know that he will ultimately and totally remove the presence of sin because he has defeated the power of sin. 
And so because of that, we wait. And when we wait, we know that God is working. So how do we wait? Verse 19 It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation. Verse 23, we wait eagerly. Verse 25, we wait for it patiently. Now friends, you can wait in two different ways. You can wait with the attitude of a wishbone, or you can wait with the attitude of a backbone. The attitude of a wishbone says, okay God, I'm going to wait. And if it's not better by next week, if it's not fixed by next month, I'm just going to wait passively, hoping for things to get better. And if it doesn't, I'm going to say it's not fair, God. You're not coming through on your promises, and I'm going to give up. And that's the wishbone type of thinking. But the waiting that is talked about right here by Paul is the waiting with the backbone. You are patient but you also have an expectation. As you are waiting, you are preparing. And every day you wake up and you have this hope and this faith that the answer is coming. You go throughout your day and you are trusting God that while you're waiting, he is working. And so you're looking at the circumstances to see how God is going to come through in this situation. When you don't understand and the questions arise to your mind, you go into the Word and you are seeking more answers. You are connecting with other believers and you are building up your fellowship. You're building up your support system. And so rather than having the wishbone saying, oh, I wish it will get better, you have a backbone. And in the confidence of the gospel, you know that it is your standing, that that is your place for God to come through. So let me give you three encouragements this morning. Are you waiting right now for God? What are the sources of hope you have in the midst of that struggle, that hardship, or that difficulty? Let me give you the first one this morning, number one. Tap into the source of perspective. Tap into the source of perspective. Verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Well, as I look at eternity, and there's no comparison to the struggles we're facing right now. In other words, Paul is saying you've been in heaven, you've been in the new heaven, the new earth for 586 million years, or whatever number you want to put. And all that you have went through, all that you have gone through, you will look back at it with no more than the inconvenience of a flat tire. There's a little boy, 17, he was paralyzed, true story. He was paralyzed from a fall when he was two. And someone came to him and and said, how long have you been paralyzed? He said, 15 years. He said, do you think God is unfair, unjust? The little boy said, no. The person said, well, why not? He said, because God will have all eternity to make it up to me. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. This is our future. This is our hope. John writes, he says, And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Is that good news? Can you imagine a world where there's no more anxious waiting rooms? No more tissue boxes. No more tables for one. No more motionless ultrasounds. No more tear-stained divorce papers. No more tiny caskets. There will be worship. There will be joy. There will be celebration. There will be the richness of community and fellowship that will be lived out in the presence of God forever and ever and ever with an infinite joy that will ever be experienced and increasing and becoming greater and greater and greater. And right now you're in a situation and you want to bail on your faith and you want to back away from God when you need God the most. And you're saying, I have trouble trusting God. This doesn't make sense. And if you cannot trust his hand, trust, or you cannot see his hand, trust his heart. In this side of eternity, we're not going to know all of what God is doing. It won't all make sense to us. The Bible is so clear on that. But we can trust his character and that in the waiting, God is working. And so our first source of hope is perspective. The second is this, tap into the source of providence. Tap into the source of providence. Verse 28 And we know that in all things, and that is key right there, the word all, the words all things, God works for the good of those who love him. This is a popular verse, isn't it? It's a great verse, isn't it? And it's a verse that tells us about the providence of God. And the providence of God means that where God does not rule, he overrules. That sin that somebody has done to you that is hurting you right now, what they've meant for evil, God can turn it for good. That illness that has struck your body, what is now causing you pain right now, God will turn for good. It wasn't a part of his original plan, but he can work it into his eternal plan. That person who has criticized you right now and you're hurting You want to lash back? God can turn it into good. And the key thing is this, is that when we're going through the fire, God has his hand on the thermostat, the intensity of the trial, and his eye on the clock. He knows the timing. So where he does not rule, he overrules for his purpose. And the key here is that he does it through all things. You're baking a cake. You take any one ingredient, it's not going to make a very good dessert, will it? But if you mix the flour and the powder and the sugar and the icing and everything together, you bake it just right, you have a wonderful dessert. Because all of the things have to come together. You take sodium, it's poisonous to your body. You take chloride, it's poisonous to your body. But you mix together sodium and chloride, you have salt. And that's pretty beneficial, isn't it? And folks, that criticism, that cancer, that slander, that sickness, by themselves, they are not good. 
But when God works them together with other things in his larger purposes, he can turn them into good. And that is our source of hope. And why does he do that? He has a purpose. It says, verse 28, he works all things out for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So source number three is to tap into the source of purpose. Verse 29 says what that purpose is. For those God foreknew, he predestined. Hold on to that thought right there because it's vital, predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. Right now, do you feel like you're hardly holding on? Right now, do you feel like you can barely make it? Right now, do you feel like you don't have enough energy or resources? The good news of this scripture here is that when you're hardly holding on, God is holding on to you. Because before you were born, before anyone ever thought about you, God had written your name, had written your life within his book. And it says that he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. You are in his plan. You are in his grip. You are in his will. And so you can trust that whatever is happening, whatever is occurring, it is being used to shape, to polish, to mold, and to develop what? The character of Jesus Christ within your life. And so that setback in your marriage, that illness, that season of loneliness is being used to make you more like Jesus. That suffering you went that developed new compassion in you for those who are suffering, you are becoming more like Jesus. That patience that you've developed is making you more like Jesus. That hardship that you went through where you learned to drive forward, where you learned to press forward in faith, is developing a courage in you to make you more like Jesus. And folks, that is the greatest gift and the greatest outcome that we could have in our lives is to be made more like him.